The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. We are thrilled you decided to join us today. I'm Michael, your host, covering for Jessica, who's on a field assignment. In today's episode, we have the honor of getting to meet Coral, who will talk to us about his mental health journey. Uh, how are you doing, Coral? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for braving the odds and coming to the studio. It's been raining for the last few days here in Phoenix, which is uh, quite unusual. What made you decide to share your story today? Denise approached me from Behavioral Mental Health and said, I think you would be really good at this. So how old were you the first time you you started to receive treatment or, or realized maybe that there was something you needed? Don't remember the year, but I want to say I was about 26 or so in Chicago, Illinois. I was diagnosed there at St. Francis Hospital. And I, my partner and I were into the party scene. That's why I just couldn't, couldn't continue. I, I didn't want to continue. So that's when I was diagnosed back in Chicago, Illinois. And he was there 2.2 seconds after I arrived, and he held my hand and everything else. Mm -hmm. And what were you diagnosed with, Carl? Um, bipolar, um, seasonal depression, and anxiety. So for you, what is bipolar disorder like? It is like a roller coaster. You have your ups. And sometimes they're way up there, manic. And at other times, you are so down and out that you can't, you're unable to focus and sleep for a couple days on end. If I did sleep, it may be an hour at a time. Just It seemed like the mind just did not want to shut down when I wanted to go lay down and go to sleep. And... When I finally come down to a somewhat normal, which I don't believe there's anything, no such thing as normal, it's lack of energy, lack of wanting to do anything, um, just like a blasé, like you're just there, but you're not. Hard to enjoy, hard to get out of the house. But I still push myself no matter what. I remember probably way back before I was even diagnosed at mom and dad's house, teenage years, not wanting to do anything. And I was, help ran a Night Moves NA club, non, non-alcoholic teen club, and the manager or owner would call me and ask me if I was coming in and I wouldn't even answer the phone. So it was that bad three, four days in a row of depression and not wanting to go in to volunteer for my position. Mm -hmm. So that's a good point. You mentioned you you were 
diagnosed first at age 26. How many years did you struggle with it without really knowing what the struggle was? Right. Self-medication. That's how I coped with it. What substances did you start using at the time? At the time, it was alcohol. 16 on up, it gradually went from alcohol. Then it went to marijuana. And then it went to street drugs. Like my drug of choice back when I was di- before I got diagnosed was uh, crystal meth. Which I suggest nobody ever try. Don't don't even dabble with it. Be, that's the worst. Right now, I know you can't see me or anything. Just Michael can see me. But my upper teeth, I do not have any upper teeth. Due to not taking care of my teeth and my use of drugs. How do you think the substance use affected your mental health? Probably not good. I mean... I had a point in my life where I lost my brother to suicide in 2000, March 7th of 2000, and that's when I hit the alcohol hard and did not talk to anybody for almost a year and a half. And then gradually I got out of that one relationship with my partner and moved on, and alcohol was my choice for a long, long, long time. Losing a sibling, a brother, a sister, whatever it might be, at an early, early, early age of 21 took a real big toll on the whole family. Not only just me, but my mother and my father. He was still back at home, and I was living in Burnsville, Minnesota at the time, and... When I received the call, I said, what? And she, re- my mother repeated it again. I threw the phone, and my partner goes, what? what's wrong? I said, just answer the fucking phone. Just, just grab the phone. I went straight to the kitchen. I had a 16-ounce glass. And it had approximately two ounces of soda, and the rest was my brandy, E&J. I downed it like there was no tomorrow. Like, nothing nothing phased me. And I heard him say, what? When he got the phone, finally. And we hung up with Mom. I said, we gotta go. And I had to promise mom that I wouldn't leave at that time because she wanted me to get rest and try to process the situation. I said, no, mom, I'm coming now. She says, no, don't come now. I said, all right, we won't go. We'll come. We'll, we'll leave in the morning. So I had to make a bunch of phone calls to work and to people that I knew in the area. And... My partner and I got up in the morning and started driving. But the sleep, I don't even think I slept a wink that day. 
And then we get in the car and we're driving along and, you know, obviously I got some tears in my eyes and so on and so forth and everything that I could think of in my mind because I haven't seen my brother and I haven't seen my mom and dad for a while. I said, you know what? In my mind, I'm thinking this. I said, you know, this is one sick fucking joke, Ma. If he comes up them steps, I'm going to be very pissed off because I didn't want to accept it. So, Carl, you, you mentioned that during that first year and a half or so, you drank excessively as a way to grieve. At what point did you, do you feel that you were able to come to terms with your brother's death? Oh, boy. That probably when years after, I mean, I gradually, you know, like I was saying, I was an alcoholic, drunk, put myself to sleep with alcohol. A year and a half, I didn't speak to anybody, not even my best friends back home in Michigan, Kingsford, Michigan. So... We finally did something for my brother probably about three years after his death. We had a memorial graveyard because we cremated him because, you know, we didn't want to show. We, we couldn't. We couldn't show him. So probably took more than a year and a half to realize that he was gone and mom and dad just kept saying they didn't want to do nothing, didn't want to do nothing. What was the circumstance of his death? Um, there was a deputy that lived down the road from us that was a good friends of the family, and he said that he came in to his house the day before and said something about legal problems. He had some legal problems. And then the next day... He's gone. He was gone. And the deputy didn't understand. He was perfectly fine. He just had some legal problems, and we didn't know exactly what the legal problems were. And mom did a, well, of course, with suicide, you have to have an autopsy. There was no drugs in his system. There was no alcohol in his system. There was no medication over the counter or prescription in his system. And he had no diseases whatsoever. So that's why we were so baffled for so long. Was there any note or indication as to why he had done this? There was no note, no nothing, nothing just nothing nothing no the signs i wouldn't know because i wasn't there um i know that he had a a, a, a friend call him the day that my mom found him and my mom went down into the basement and asked or looked and saw my brother dead she said to the person on the phone, he's not coming to the phone for a very, very long time. And went up and got my dad. And my dad came down. And that's when he called 911. And there 
you know, that's the gist of it, I guess. Sad, sad. So anybody that thinks or wants to think them thoughts of wanting to take their life, it's not worth it. So not worth it. It didn't wreck our family, but it hurt our family. More than anyone could imagine. So with me giving this interview, is it going to help me and help others, hopefully? It will help others listening in. And it's just not worth it. Don't, just don't do it. Don't even think it. I think you said before, you you had periods where you had those thoughts yourself. After he committed suicide, how did that change your perspective on suicide? Oh, I would never. Me personally would never. My mom had to find him and then my dad had to come down and find him. I wouldn't do that. I couldn't do that to my parents. And I won't do that to my mom. My mom's the only one that's alive right now. My dad, he passed away about 12 years ago. Or excuse me, six or seven years ago. But uh, it changed the way I look at life. I'm not religious or anything like that. I'm just baptized Lutheran. And... When I was going through mental health in not only just Chicago, but other areas that I have been needed help. But in California, I was in California for a couple of years. And it just, when I went into the hospital, so I had enough medication to come back home for a visit. I overheard someone say that if you commit suicide, that's just the easy way out or something like that, they said. I said, excuse me? You know, you don't. I don't think you know what you're talking about because you shouldn't say something like that. It's not the easy way out. He was receiving mental health treatment and you you were not aware of that. Was anybody else in your family receiving treatment as well? Um... Not that I'm aware of, but I know that mom's mom was going to the doctor every two weeks just because, I guess, come to find out she was bipolar in the long run. So once you started treatment, were you placed on medications? Were you doing counseling? What kind of treatments were you uh, getting? I was getting um, counseling, medication, old school medication, hardcore. Lots of medication, actually. Depakote, Seroquel, Zyprexa. I know I've been on Wellbutrin. So, so tell me with the medications, because unfortunately in this field, a lot of it is trial and error. See what right. medications work for you. The side effects. I, I, we we hear often as providers that the side effects of medications are really difficult to cope with. What was that experience for you? The only side effect that I do believe that I've ever had from any of my medications from the time that I was diagnosed until to this day, 
has been the weight gain. That's about it. Really good experiences with all from 26 plus to 44. Um, believe it or not, I'm 44. <laughs> As we look across each other and smile and laugh. <laughs> so so the medication experience was a good one. And it, did it help you to the point where you were able to function the way other people expected of you? Um, at first it was, it was, you know, of course difficult because I had to take all these pills and everything, medicine, sorry, medicine. And it was dry mouth like I have right now. <laughs> a lot of water, a lot of water, a lot of water. I guess that is a side effect. So yes, I do have that. <laughs> so there's another one. So weight gain and um, dry mouth. If we have listeners who who are going through similar experiences, what would be your advice to them? My advice to someone that has symptoms similar to mine or are having the symptoms of mine, whether they might be on or not be on medication, just go to the doctor and say, hey, your family doctor, it starts there. It starts there. Say, hey, I can't. There's always help out there. There's, there's, you know, um, I don't know Arizona that well, so I can't really speak on Arizona. But m from my experiences, it starts with your family doctor. If you don't have a family doctor, get one. Get one. I know insurance is not cheap if you don't have a profession or, or whatnot. But it <clears throat> it starts with you take care of you first you know don't think of oh i gotta help this person i gotta help that person did you feel before you started to seek help that was there any any type of shame or concern that you may have an illness a mental health illness yes and no I know that's not a very good answer. <laughs> yes, I was ashamed. I, But the no part is, after a long period of time being on medication, is I need this. I can do this. I have to do this. I will not let my parents down. I, I, I just can't continue not trying to take medication as prescribed and I've been pretty stable for the last ooh, at least 10 years at least that's great and you mentioned you're working so you're you're taking care of yourself you're taking care of your needs your financial needs it's been an honor and I just want to thank you for being here and um, and good luck in the future thank you thank you very much Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. 
CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 